Man, Josh just baptized a little dude named Thor. That's real. Because Thor loves Jesus. I mean, that's going to make a difference right there. That's, that's serious. I don't know what happened. I'm talking to the high school students that are here. I don't know what happened at the fall retreat, but I'd like a little bit of that. Like, I mean, you guys have been radically different since you've got back. So I, I'm, Amy and I are going to have to go down there next, next fall, see what's going on down there. That was pretty cool. Very exciting to see that. And I'm glad you're here. We are working our way through the Ten Commandments, and we are ready for um, college students. I feel like I should say something to you. God's doing a good work in your lives, too, so don't just, you know, don't, don't. I mean, I, I see you. Uh, we're working through the Ten Commandments. We are ready for commandment number, number six uh, today. And I, I'm thankful that we just are having the time to slow down and really go commandment by commandment and look at these commandments and really kind of peel back the layers and see there's probably more there uh, for us than what we had originally thought. So I'm super thankful for that. You know, sometimes uh, some people will say, well, why in the world are, are, are you uh, leading our church to study through the Ten Commandments? We're, we're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. And so what, what's the point of that? One of the things that uh, we think about when we're studying the Ten Commandments is the Ten Commandments, first of all, they send us to Jesus for salvation. Meaning when you study the Ten Commandments, one of the things you, you become aware of very quickly is you haven't kept any of these, right? And so that, that, that leads us to need a Savior. But after salvation, then Jesus sends us back to the Ten Commandments for our spiritual growth and our development. So that's what is so important. And as we think about these commandments, one of the ways that I like to think about them is the first four really deal with our vertical relationship with God, right? We shall have no other gods before God. We should not make, number two, any images of God. Number three, we shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Uh, number four, we should honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Uh, number five, we should honor our father and our mother that our days may be long on, on, uh, on life, or have long life that the Lord our God has given us. Give this my fourth time to preach this message, so I'm getting jumbled up a little bit. And, uh, and then we get to number six today, which really starts dealing with our horizontal relationships with, with each other. And so commandment number six is uh, pretty straightforward, right, at first, at first blush. Uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 13 says this, you shall not murder. In the Hebrew, it says no murder. Uh, it's just two words in this commandment in the, in, in, in the Hebrew. And so we, we could look at that and say, you know what, it's going to be a short message because I've never done that and don't plan to do that. And so we just go ahead and get out early today and go ahead and get started with lunch. But I think we're going to see some different facets of this commandment, maybe that uh, we haven't seen before or we just need to be uh, reminded of. I've entitled this, this message, uh, Everybody Wears the Teardrop. And I know that sounds weird, and let me try to explain it uh, in, in just a moment. When you see a, a teardrop tattoo on a person's face, uh, it can mean multiple things. One of the things that it can mean is that they have uh, taken somebody's life. I never will forget, years ago, I was asked to go and speak at uh, Riverbend Maximum Security Prison, and, and so I'd never done that before, and so I had sort of an expectation. I thought it would go down a certain way. You ever have sort of an expectation about something, then you get there and it's nothing like that? I sort of thought it was going to be like Johnny Cash when he recorded at Folsom Prison. Have you seen the video? I sort of thought it was going to be like that. It was nothing like that. In fact, I remember going through the last uh, checkpoint and the guard said, okay, you just, you see the yard out there? I said, yeah. He said, if you just walk to the end of the yard uh, at the left, uh, there'll be an open door, big room, and that's where the gathering is. And you can just make your way there. I said, okay, somebody going with me? He said, no, nobody's going with you. It was at that point, I seriously wanted to turn around and go back home, but it, I was already in. And so I remember walking down 
scared to death, to be honest. Walking through the yard at Riverbend and uh, getting to the rooms, music was playing. There was a lot of, a lot of people in there. Come to realize that, you know, you, it's a chance to get out of your cell. And so guys were in there and I started preaching and it wasn't like this. Usually here, there might be a baby that cries occasionally. People get up and walk out, but nobody yells at you and tells you you're dead wrong, Right? And then nobody yells at that person telling them they're wrong. And then there's almost an altercation during the middle of the message. I mean, that's pretty an intense environment. That's what it was like. But there was a guy who was uh, leading worship and he had a teardrop. And you ever, when you've been with your kids, you have little kids and there's something awkward that they see. And, and so, and they just keep staring and you're like, don't stare. You ever been that way? That was me. I'm like, I just, I'd never been that close to, so I'd heard about it. Like, you know. I grew up in the hardened streets of Blackman, uh, and so, um, so I'd, I'd, I'd kind of, I'd heard about that, but I'd never seen that. I was fascinated, and finally the guy knew I was looking, and he said, yeah, I, I got one of those. That's why I'm here. I was like, that's cool, and I left there thinking, man, we're really different. We're really different dudes. I've come to realize that uh, we're not. I've come to realize that I wear the teardrop, too. I want us to think about that today. This, this command, you shall not murder, it's a command that all of us think, well, I've, I've never done that. But the truth of the matter is we all have. And, and the next question is, what's the cause of that? So let, let's look at three things just quickly this morning, I think, that really it says this. This is what every teardrop says. What every teardrop that, that we wear, and, and and some people have those tattooed on their face, and some, some are visible, some are invisible, but we all have them. But what does every teardrop say? First of all, teardrops are, are a result of failing to realize that every human being is an image bearer. Like if we wear the teardrop and we do, it's a result of failing to realize that every person on planet Earth is an image bearer. And you say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, let's take a look at the Scripture. Genesis chapter 1, the very first page of Scripture. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 then God said, let us make mankind in our image. I'm always fascinated. This has nothing to do with the message, but I just have to say it here. I'm always fascinated with people who say, you know what? The, the, I don't see the Trinity in the Bible. Well, I do on the very first page of the Bible. So who is the Father talking to? Let us make mankind in our own image, the Son, the Holy Spirit, present at creation. Let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So in verse 26, it says that you and I are created in the image of God. We're different from the animals. Verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. Second time it says that. On, on in the passage, in the image of God, he created them. Third time, male and female, he created them. So three times in the very first chapter of the Bible, it says that you and I and every person who breathes on planet earth has been created in the image of God. And because of that, that gives them worth. And if I wear the teardrop, one of the reasons why I wear the teardrop that I have hurt, damaged, or even taken someone's life is I failed to realize that that person is an image bearer. Now, what does it mean to be created in the image of God? Well, that's a fascinating question. One of the things is that we can, as image bearers, we can reflect the nature of our king. We can image God by the way we live our life, right? That people see us, can see the nature of God, his love, his grace, his mercy by the way we live our life. Uh, some people, some image bearers image well, some don't image well. But, but secondly, as an image bearer, we're different. We are created to be creative. 
We have the ability to, be, to create. We have the ability to have hopes. We have the ability to have dreams. We have the ability to have intimate relationships. Why? Because we've been created in the image of God, and that gives every human being worth. I've told this story multiple times. We worked uh, for several summers in downtown Minneapolis just a few years ago. We were there right before on Hennepin Avenue, right before uh, the George uh, Floyd murder took place and the city erupted. Uh, we were there uh, serving as a church, working with a church planner who was working right downtown Minneapolis. And one of the things that we were doing is we were working with people on the street, uh, providing some food through the church planner, from providing some clothing, and then inviting them every night to a worship gathering, right? And so that's what we would do on a daily basis, go out and interact with uh, really people living on the street, tons of folks there in Minneapolis. And so I never will forget, we kind of got comfortable, got to know some folks, but we were outside of the public library in downtown Minneapolis. About 30 or 40 homeless folks had gathered there. We were just interacting, and they were telling their story. We were talking. And then all of a sudden, every single one of them, it was like they were just a school of fish and a shark was coming through the water. I mean, they lost color in their face. They began to back up, and they began to kind of recoil in fear. I'm not the sharpest guy, but I realized something's up. I'm expecting to turn around and see, you know, like the roughest, toughest dude in Minneapolis coming guns blazing. I turned around to see a group of five, six, 13, 14-year-old boys. And uh, one of the guys grabbed me and he says, do not look at them. Which whenever somebody says that to me, is that, are you like that? You're like, I got to look. <laughs> Don't speak to them. And I was like, Why? He says, they will shoot you in an instant. They don't care about anybody. And, and here's a group of 25 to 50-year-old people who live day after day on the street, and there were a group of 13 or 14-year-olds that they were incredibly afraid of. And I wondered why, and as we begin to talk, he said that they have no respect of life. And the truth of the matter is, here's what these 13 and 14-year-old boys that breaks my heart didn't know. They didn't know that they were an image bearer, and they didn't know that everybody around them was an image bearer. If they had understood that, it perhaps would have made a difference. John Calvin, the great theologian, one of the greatest theologians of all time, said this. He said, our neighbor bears the image of God. Do you believe that? Well, we believe that because the Word of God says that, right? Our neighbor bears the image of God. To use him, abuse him, or misuse him is to do violence to the person of God who images himself in every human soul. And so, for starters, we wear the teardrop because we fail to realize that that person that we have hatred or animosity to or have done harm to is an image bearer. When any attack on another human being is an attack on the very image of God, right? So let's look at this question. And by the way, I need to say this because well, this, is, this is a whole other message. We'll get into this in the book of Joshua after the first year. We're going to study through the book of Joshua, which I'm super excited about. The scripture in the Ten Commandments, God says, do not murder. Uh, there is a difference between uh, murdering someone, taking someone's uh, life uh, innocently, and then you even see and, and capital punishment or killing. You see that uh, in scripture. There's a distinction. We'll get into that in the book of, book of Joshua. But anyways, here we go. How would my life and your life look different? Here's an important question. How would my life and your life look different if we saw every other human being as an image bearer? I think it would look different in a lot of ways for me. Let's look at the second thing. Only three things we're going to look at today. 
But the second thing is we just kind of look at another layer of this command that we should not commit murder. It's a commandment that all of us think we have kept, but in reality, perhaps none of us have kept it. Teardrops are a result. Teardrops are a result of failing to realize that we are called to protect life, not merely avoid ending it. Like when we look at this sixth commandment that you should not commit murder, we kind of look at it from a bare minimum perspective, like don't kill anybody, got it, won't do that, move on. But it's much deeper, it's much deeper than that. You see, when, when the Lord says to Moses, uh, do not commit murder, that is, that, is the, that is the negative side of the command. The positive side of the command is that we are to protect and preserve life. Does that make sense? That, that's what this command is, is, is getting at. And so we will either in our life, in your life and in my life, we will either run toward preserving and protecting life or we will drift toward taking it with our attitudes and our actions. And it really begs the question, what does it mean to run toward preserving and protecting life? Because for most of us, this is a little bit of a paradigm shift because when we think about the sixth command, do not commit murder, we usually only think of it from the negative side of the command, not ending life. We, we, we very rarely look at it from the positive side of the command to preserve and to protect life. But what does that even look like? How, how, how would I do that? Listen, anytime we fight for the unborn, we're preserving and protecting life. Does that make sense? That's why that's so important. Uh, the elderly, we looked at that even last week in honoring our father and our mother, which is a command given to adults. Then we're preserving when we're protecting the poor, the sick, the weak, those that are bullied on our campus are take advan taken advantage of in many ways. Anytime we protect and preserve life, then we're really in obedience to this sixth commandment. But let me just tell you something. Here's something that I think we never talk about in the church, because if, if you could interact with me just a little bit, that would be great for starters. But secondly, you know, I say, you know what, we preserve and we protect life when we fight for the poor, the needy, and, and if we're raising money for feeding children, which we are today, that's an important thing. If we're going to close those who, who need clothing, if we want to educate those who don't have a chance at education, the church rises up and accepts that challenge, and that's a very important thing. I'm for that. But let me just tell you something. Here's something that we have missed. We protect and we preserve life when we really fight for the lost, those who don't have spiritual life. Does that make sense? When we fight for those who don't know the grace and the mercy of Jesus and have never come alive spiritually. And so to not step into that with our life, to preserve and to protect life spiritually in many ways, is to be complicit in murder. It's an important thing. Martin Luther said this, the great reformer. He said, this command, talking about the sixth command, to not commit murder, this command is violated not only when a person actually does evil, but also when he or she fails to do good to his neighbor. Do you see that? So that's how we violate this command. Look at Proverbs 31.8. It's a great passage. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. That's what you and I are called to do. Isn't that important? To speak up, to protect and to preserve. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Look at John chapter 13, 35. Think about this. What did Jesus say? He says, by this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have what? 
If you have love one for another, that's a defining characteristic of those who are followers of Jesus Christ. That it's not just that we avoid taking life, but we understand it is our obligation as a Christ follower to protect and to preserve life, most notably even spiritual life, right? And here's the point. When we are passive, we're guilty, to be passive when we're not preserving and protecting life when we have a chance to do that makes us an accomplice to murder in some way, you see? And, and so what are we doing? We're just kind of unpacking this command just a little bit deeper. I, I love what we'll put Wani's picture up here on the screen. I love this picture. This is a, this is a shot taken years ago from a La Represa community uh, that we've been working in almost 15 years in the Dominican Republic. And uh, there's Wani in the uh, pink shirt off to, to, to the left. I saw this picture uh, for the first time. Amy, my wife, is here. I saw this picture for the first time on Thursday night, and our uh, little girl that we sponsored for years, her mom's in the back of the picture, which is kind of cool. But so looking at this village, the first time I ever stepped into this village, there was a missionary who reached out to us and said, we have a pastor and his wife um, who really need some help in this community of La Repress in the Dominican Republic. I've never heard of that, never been there. And so I went down with a, a few guys from church, just a couple of us, went on a short trip just to check it out, right? So I remember going into that community, the pastor... His wife was doing a, a Bible study for the children every day in a little, I call it an outbuilding that you and I probably wouldn't put our dog in. There's about 20 kids in there. It was the hottest room I'd ever been in in my life. And we sat there, and it was great work. She's doing a great work. And I said, you know, we'll go back and we'll talk to the church. I think we can do something here. And so we got back in the van, and one of the guys says, where are we going? I said, we're going back to the hotel. We were staying in a nice hotel in Santo Domingo. I mean, it had air conditioning. Uh, had a buffet. I said, we're going back to the hotel. I'm hungry. He said, I'm not going back to the hotel. I said, we got a real problem here, chief. I don't know what we're going to do because I'm not staying here tonight. He said, do you mean to tell me, pastor, you could go back and lay your head down and go to sleep tonight after what we've just seen? That's when I was really in a tough spot. As a pastor, I was like, no. I mean, I thought I could until you said this. Now I realize I can't. He said, I can't go, but we're not going. He said, we got to do something. I said, well, we are. That's why we're here. We're going to do something. He said, no, we got to do something tonight. I said, okay, what are we doing? We, through the interpreter, we talked to the interpreter. We end up uh, in the outskirts of Santa Domingo at a, at a Dominican Home Depot, not much like our Home Depot, but, but sort of. We bought every box fan they had in this Home Depot. So here we are, these American guys loading up this van with box fan after box fan, driving back to the community, no electricity. They're going back that night and hooking up these box fans to a generator. And so he said, tomorrow morning, these kids are at least going to have some fresh air blowing in here, and I can't sleep until it's done. I was like, wow. You know what, that, you know, you know what he was really saying? God is calling me to preserve and to protect life, not just to avoid taking it. I want to show you another picture, and there's tons of these things that we could say, but this happens every month around here. This was on the porch last month. We had another one of these that took place yesterday. These are ladies that uh, Operation Save a Life, one of our ministry partners here, Scott Horder, used to be on our staff here, uh, spends time with his team, some folks from our church working at uh, abortion clinics in Nashville, and just asking uh, ladies and many times guys who are with them if they would reconsider ab abortion, spend time talking with them. And uh, they have uh, saved so many lives. But there's a group of ladies here that said, that's not enough. We want to throw baby showers for these moms. 
And I'm telling you, they throw a baby shower. I don't know what your baby shower was like, but they raise thousands of dollars every single month, and it just, it just blows these young moms away. And so what is that? That's protecting and preserving life. It's not just to avoid taking it. That's really what God has called us to. We have folks that work in the prison, and on and on and on it goes. But I just want us to see that this command is much deeper than, than we might think. It has a lot of facets to us as, as followers of Christ. But let's look at the third and the final one, and this is the most important one. Because every teardrop that we wear says something. First of all, it's a result of not understanding that every person's an image bearer. Secondly, it's failing to to understand that I'm, I'm called to preserve and to protect life and offer life instead of just keeping from or avoiding ending life. And then number three, look at this. Teardrops are a result of failing to realize the homicide that's going on in our hearts. Now listen to what Jesus said about this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. And to that, they would say, we know that, Jesus. That's commandment number six. We got that one. Thou shalt not murder, right? Check. Good point. We haven't done it. And anybody who has done it, man, they, they, they're going to get what's coming to them, Jesus. Preach on. Good one. Verse 22. Jesus says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool, meaning speaking against their intellect, will be liable to, to hell. And to that, nobody responds like, good one, Jesus. Everybody's like, what in the world? Nobody's ever said anything like that. What in the world are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, people who take someone's life, yeah, understand that they deserve judgment. But somebody who's angry with someone, who has hatred toward another, another person, man, you're, you, are, you, are you saying that in some ways there's an equivalency with that hatred or anger and murder? Is that what you're saying? To that, Jesus says, that's exactly what I'm saying. Wow, no one's ever said anything like that. Why is it? Because we have sort of a bare minimum standard in this sort of our approach to things. And, and so it's pretty easy to say, thou shalt not commit murder, never done that. Jesus said, let's go deeper into the heart. Let's see what really makes us tick. And Jesus is saying that anger and hatred is the embryo of murder, and let's deal with it. Because can I be honest with us? We can all be character assassins. Does that make sense? No response? See, in many ways, we're all murderers. It's just different weapons. Some choose a gun, others choose words. But what Jesus is saying is the source of it's the same. Now, are, are, I understand this. Are the consequences of it different? Of, of course, right? There's different consequences for someone who takes a life and, and someone who, is, who is, is angry. But what Jesus is saying is it's just the same substance and it needs to be dealt with. In fact, look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 15. I'm almost done. Sometimes people say, I don't understand the Bible, Pastor Brady. The Bible's confusing. I don't understand it. Uh, where would you have me start? I always tell people, start in either the Gospel of John or, or 1 John, because John writes with such crystal, uh, just with such clarity. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. Like, you may disagree with what John says, but it's not like it's confusing. Right? You just, boom. It is what it is, right? Anyone who hates a brother or sister, that's really what Jesus is saying. And that is so shocking. It was shocking for this first century audience, and it's shocking for us today because we just skip right over the sixth commandment, don't we? I did it all my life. 
Do not commit murder. I just felt like this is the greatest day. This is the only one of these commandments I've never violated. Boom. Feel good about myself. And then I realized, no, I have. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. What is Jesus saying? What is John getting to? He's really challenging us to investigate the source of our anger and the source of this hatred. Jen Wilkin has an amazing quote. We've used her book, The Ten, to really help us a lot and be a great resource for this series. And she says this, this amazing quote. The impulse to murder, the impulse to murder is nothing less than the outer workings of a lesser impulse we choose to indulge on a regular basis. And what is that lesser impulse that we tend to indulge or just sort of neglect? It is anger or hatred toward another person. And Jesus calls that out. See, I want to talk about anger for just a couple minutes. You see, we're, we're prone to believe that anger is external. Like, I'm angry because you push my buttons, or this situation makes me angry, or this group of people makes me angry, or this policy makes me angry. But anger is never external. Anger is always internal. That's what Jesus is saying, and he wants to expose it so we can be free from it, right? And here's the thing about anger. Watch this. Anger, if we fail to repent of the anger that we have, if we fail to repent of the anger that we have, anger will always move to contempt. And you might say, well, what in the world is contempt? Like, you know, what, is, what does that mean? Well, contempt is really failing to value another person. Contempt believes someone is worthless. And if we believe something is worthless or somebody is worthless, watch this, then we're justified in anything that we say or anything that we might do to them. Does that make sense? That's the plan of the, that's the, plan of the enemy. That's why today, listen... There is so many things that are said on social media. and I mean, just violent things. And How in the world can another human being, especially someone who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ, say something that vile about another human being? Because unchecked anger always moves to contempt, and contempt says you're worthless, so I'm justified in anything I say or do. That's why this is such a big deal, and that's why Jesus is calling it out, right? Because if we could see our hearts today, our hearts would look way more like death row than they would the front row of our churches. Now, watch this. You could leave here today and say, you know what? I feel kind of guilty because I've got some anger. I've got some hatred. But all you've done is made me feel some shame and some guilt. And you haven't helped me a whole lot. I want to show you something, if you can hang here for a second, a passage of Scripture that has just changed me in this journey of dealing with my anger. Because, you know what, a lot of times you'll hear people say, well, that per- he's got anger issues. You ever heard anybody say that? Or she's got some anger issues. But how do, how do we deal with that? Listen to what Scripture says, James chapter 4, verse 1, right? And let me say this about anger. Anger is a secondary emotion. Anger is not the problem. It's what your anger is defending that is always the problem. See that? Look at this. Watch what James says. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? There are moms all over this place that would say, that's a great question, James, because I feel like more of a referee at home than I do a mother. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? And then he answers the question. Aren't you thankful for that? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? 
And this word passions really can be defined as desires or evil desires. James says, here's the problem. Anger is not the problem. It's what your anger is defending. It's these passion or these desires that are within you. In fact, I want to show you something. I want to show you something. Pastor Ben, uh, who pastors our Buchanan campus, he pointed this out this week. It was powerful truth. He said, if you think about the most notorious murder in the history of the world, it's the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Would you agree? I'm just looking for somebody to nod their head here, right? That's a pretty big deal. Yeah, but what is behind it? Look at Mark chapter 15, verse 9. Pilate. Pilate is, is wanting very much to release Jesus and not have Jesus' death on his hands. Pilate, Pilate says in verse 9 of Mark chapter 15, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? That's his question, hoping they would say yes. And then look at verse 10, knowing, this is Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest, our other translations call, t- translate that envy or evil desire that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. Pilate says, here's what I know about you. Here's why you're handing Jesus over to me. It's out of envy. It's out of these evil desires within you that are causing you to act out in this way with this hatred towards, towards Jesus. And Pilate is right. He's right. The root of unrighteous anger is unrighteous desire. And so let, let, let's just push a little bit further. I mean, we're into this now, right? Let's finish this thing out. So what are some of these? Envy? I mean, think about Let's just think about envy for just a second. Can we do that? Think about envy for just a second. I'm envious, and envy creates anger. I, I have envy when you're better at me than something, Right? You know what? Somebody looks better. Your hair's better. Your home's better. Your car's better. My boat's still better than yours. But anyways, envy, we're envious when somebody is, is somebody has more than, than us. And social media kind of feeds our envy, doesn't it? Because everybody looks better than we do on social media. Is that right? They've got more. And envy, right, is this desire. And then we have anger toward that, that other person. If we don't deal with the anger, it moves to contempt, which just says you're worthless, so I can do or say whatever I want to do, right? I never, never will forget my first practice as a, as a college athlete, my first practice, I remember leaving practice and saying, everybody on that practice feels better than me. It was a hard realization, right? Everybody's better. You know, one of the things that there was so much I hated about the quarantine period, but when we weren't able to gather and worship, it was like, you guys are watching a lot of different preachers online. They're all better than me, right? The guy who's discipling me, he said, you know what? That's right. He says, that's right. There's always going to be people better than you. They're going to be smarter. They're going to look better. They're going to have more. That, that's all. That's all. It, but listen, it comes back to just understanding and being grounded in the fact that our God loves us with this unconditional love, not based on our performance, right? Just this unconditional love for he has. So I don't have to be envious of you if you're better than me, and you don't have to be envious of me because God loves you as if he, you're his only child. Envy, jealousy, selfishness. I always say this. My problem, my biggest problem is not anger. My biggest problem is selfishness, right? Best example of this, I'm going to get in my, I'm hungry right now, literally. I'm talking about now. I'm hungry. I know what's waiting for me in maybe about 30 minutes from now. I'm ready to eat. So I'm going to get in my truck. I'm going to get on Thompson Lane. I'm going to stop at the red light there, Thompson and Broad, I'm going to be in the left lane. Some of you are going to jump ahead in the right lane, and you're going to get down to Dollar General. I've shared this hundreds of times, and you're going to stop so you can merge in. And I'm going to have to stop, and you're going to delay my lunch by 50 to 75 seconds. That's a problem, right, because, because you're angry. No, because I'm selfish. And so you say, well, what's the point? What's the point? 
I'm never going to be free from it until I identify it. And you have to ask this question every time that anger boils up in your life. First of all, this is a serious issue. Jesus brings it up to have a hatred or anger towards someone is, is likened unto murder. That gets my attention. Does that get your attention even at some level? <laughs> it gets my attention. It causes me to do some work and say, hey, what is my anger defending? Well, it's, it's, it's revealing my envy or my jealousy or my selfishness or my control issues, right? And then I have a chance to confess those and invite God's power to release me from those. And then I begin to walk in some victory. And so what Jesus is saying is not to load us up with a lot of guilt, but he's saying if you'll do this hard work, then you have a chance to be free. And isn't that what you want? Man, it's intense, isn't it? Because anger is, anger is a secondary emotion. We say around here, anger, anger is kind of like smoke from a fire. It's not the smoke that's going to destroy your house. It's the fire that's going to do that. And so here's a couple questions for your small group, or if you're not in a small group, just make whoever you're having lunch with today your small group, and maybe you'd ask these questions. It kind of gives us a chance to recap what we've talked about today. First one is this. Do I realize that everyone is an image bearer? You see, failing to realize that is the reason that we wear the teardrop we will say and we will do hurtful and harmful things until we are reminded this is someone who bears the very image of my king. Number two, do I realize that passivity makes me accomplice, an accomplice? Do I realize when I'm passive, when I have a chance to preserve or protect or to share life, spiritual life with someone, to be passive is to make me an accomplice in their murder? Do I realize that my hatred is a form of homicide? It's homicide of the heart. That's what Jesus is getting at. Like maybe that's pointed toward an ex-spouse that has wrecked your mind and your heart for years and there's so much hatred and animosity there. Maybe it's an ex-boss, an ex-roommate. Have you ever seen it that way? Hatred is homicide of the heart. And if I leave hatred alone, it will always move to contempt. Contempt says you're worthless. So anything I will say or do, you deserve it. That's a dangerous place to be. Let me say this and I'll be done. Do you realize you wear the teardrop? I want to stop, and, and some of you are like, that's okay, kind of cool image, yeah, right? You're trying to shock, I get what you're doing here, you're trying to shock me, but oh, come on, I think that's overstated. <laughs> to, really, to really put me in the same category, to put me in the same category as a murderer on death row because of hatred I have in my heart, that's, that's a jump I'm not willing to take. I want to push past that. There's a story in the news this week that caught my attention. Henry Ruggs III is a professional football player for the Las Vegas Raiders. This week, he was driving his brand-new Corvette, twice the legal limit of alcohol, was driving his brand-new Corvette 156 miles an hour in a residential part of Las Vegas. Here's some pictures. When he hit another car and killed a 23-year-old girl instantly. It's a terrible story. Our heart breaks for a family who's burying a daughter this weekend. 
Our heart also breaks for a young man whose life has been drastically turned by some poor choices. But what is on this young man's mind today? My guess is it's probably one thing today is his head is clearing up a little bit and he's thinking, I'm responsible for another person not being here today. My actions ended that life. That's a pretty heavy thought, isn't it? Wouldn't we all agree? That's a pretty heavy thought. But here's ultimately why we all wear the teardrop. Because my actions, my sinless rebellion against God, my utter selfishness, sent his son to the cross. It's one thing to say that Jesus died for the sins of the world. It's a whole nother deal to say that he died. Mine. That's why this isn't just a clever sermon illustration. This is the cold, hard truth. And unless and until we are broken by that fact, we're never really ready to have the teardrop erased. You see, the scripture says that one day the Lord is going to wipe every tear from our eyes. That's true. But can I tell you something? Today, he can remove that teardrop from your face. Why? Because Jesus died for murderers like me. You say, well, how do you know that? As he was dying on the cross, the very people, literally, in that day who sent him there, still yelling, the their voices ringing in his ear, crucify, crucify, crucify. What did he say? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus came to die for murderers like me and you. And the teardrop can be erased by the grace and the mercy of our King if we would receive it. Isn't that good news? I'm gonna ask you to stand all over this room today in the balcony. Those of you who are watching online, I just want you to listen to the words of this song that Daniel's going to sing over us. Our staff's going to be here at the front. You know what? We've gone over today. Don't hate me. That's wrong. You'd be violating the sixth commandment. Don't do that. <laughs> Our staff's coming to the front. I'm going to encourage you. If you'd just like to come and pray, just kneel and, and, and pray. Let me just say this. You know, some of you coming and praying that God would release you, you know what your anger is defending. Come and offer that up to the Lord. Others of you, and with just a picture of humility because you want to shrink down some of the awkwardness in this room, because let's just be flat out honest. This is an awkward moment. You feel it right now, don't you? Like everybody's standing, people are standing up in the front. If somebody walks down, everybody in the room is going to look at them. You know what? That's true. But at some point, we just get to this place in our life, we just flat out don't care any longer what anybody else thinks because we want the teardrop removed. We want this grace. We want this mercy. We want this freedom that we're so desperate for. So we want to give you a chance to step into that. I'm just going to ask some of you just to, just to come and just pray, just to shrink the awkwardness in the room just a little bit, right? 
encourage you to do that. But as Daniel leads us through song, whatever it is today, would you respond to the Lord as we sing?